Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Madeleine Claire Weiss about not just what, why, how, and with whom, but where we work to. Madeline Weiss, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you back. We had the chance to chat and we had a really nice talk about stress and uh, dealing with stress and anxiety in the workplace. Today, we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk more about uh, virtual and hybrid work. So I like the way you framed it as we were preparing for this episode, not just what, why, how, and with whom, but where we work as well. Um, So that's going to be the focus of our conversations today. As we get started, I wanted to share Madeline's bio with everyone. Madeline Claire Weiss is a Harvard-trained licensed psychotherapist, mindset expert, and board-certified executive career life coach who helps people master their minds so they can maintain and enjoy satisfaction and success in all areas of their lives. She is a co-author in the Handbook of Stressful Transitions Across the Lifespan and author of the new release, Getting to Great, five-step strategy for work and life. Madeline is a former group mental health administrative director, a corporate chief organizational development officer, and associate director of the anatomical gift program at Harvard Medical School, where she spoke before the joint committee on the status of women. As a corporate trainer, Madeline designed and delivered programs for such diverse organizations as Harvard Medical School, Legal Services Corporation, and AARP. She has been featured on NBC, Bold TV, Fox TV, appears frequently as a podcast guest expert, including major. Lindsay and Africa's Erasing the Stigma, has written for Thrive Global, Authority Magazine's Editor's List, UpJourney, My Perfect Financial Advisor, and conducted webinars for such organizations as the American American Bar Association, the Harvard Law School Association, etc. Madeleine is a chapter co-author in the Handbook of Stressful Transitions Across the Lifespan. I could go on and on and on. So many wonderful um, accomplishments and such a rich career. It's really a pleasure to have you back on the podcast today. Before we launch into our conversation about the where of work, is there anything else about yourself, your background, your personal context you'd like to share? I would just want to say I love my work. People, um, when they come to me, they don't necessarily believe that they can have a great life. They just want some of the pain to go away. And lo and behold, with this re-engineered five-step strategy, um, it's just such a privilege and a pleasure to be a part of the journey that actually gets them to their smile. And I just get a really big kick out of that. So, yeah. Yeah, there is something special about being able to help people and, and seeing 
the transition um, as people start to grow into themselves and, and find their own power and, and their own happiness and their own authenticity, all of those things, I think just to drive satisfaction, fulfillment in life, which usually translates over into more um, successful careers and, and other things like that. So it's, it's really a wonderful thing. Thank you for all the good work you do. And before we really launch into the, the main topic for today, um, talking about where we work and not just the what, the why, the how, and the whom. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about your book, Getting to Great, the five-step strategy for work and life? Yeah. So at some point I asked myself, so what is it that's working for all these people? First of all, the clients are also different one from the other in age, ethnicity, occupation, gender, you name it. And also, um, as you can see, my background is kind of varied. Um, so there's all this stuff in the toolkit, and then there are all these people who are also different. And I thought, okay, what is the common denominator here? So I kind of laid everything out and took a good look at everybody and their own trajectories and noticed that they all went through this five-step process to get from where they were to where they more wanted to be. So I thought, well, I have to put that in a bottle. So this is the bottle. <laughs> and, uh, Excellent. And just really quickly for listeners, if, if you can just outline um, <laughs> the great, the G-R-E-A-T five steps, what are those? Okay. So let me start with the first line of the book, which is, because that's going to frame our conversation about the where also. A great life depends on a great fit between who we are and the environments in which we work and live. So the G stands for, you can only imagine my delight when I noticed that the um, acronym GREAT actually captured the five steps I was, I was pretty thrilled about that. Okay, so the G stands for, as I said, people don't necessarily come thinking they're going to walk out with a great life. They just want some of the pain to stop. And so the, it's the grounding in the belief that it doesn't have to be like that, that you really can have what feels like a great life and that we all pretty much have everything we need inside of us to get us there. So that's the G for the grounding in this uh, new mind shift paradigm. And then if a great life depends on the fit between who we are and the environments, then we need to know who we are. So the R is for recognizing who we are, not who someone else necessarily said we should be, or even who we've been telling ourselves we ought to be for so many years of our own lives. And then once we have that more under our belt, a better sense of who we are, then E is for we go exploring. And these are all the opportunities and possibilities out there that some of which have occurred to us, but we go, nah, I can't do that. Or some never even entered our minds. And then the A 
is for action. The exploring is tons of fun. It's sort of like dreaming, but we can't stay there because as William James said, action doesn't necessarily guarantee happiness, but there's no happiness without action. Um, The mind is smart enough to figure out when you're just dreaming and not doing. And then the T, G-R-E-A-T, is for tackling the normal, natural, expectable, predictable resistance to change. So that's the... Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. And I'll, we'll refer to this at the end of the episode, but I do encourage listeners to, to, to check out the book, um, some really great framings and, and uh, some ideas there that I think will be really helpful to you. All right. So you already teased a little bit the, um, the where element of work and, and connecting that to yeah. alignment, right? So let's dive into that a little bit more and expand on that idea. Um, so there's probably a lot of different things we can talk about when we talk about where we work. Um, it's all the rage right now. People are talking about, you know, physical workspaces versus um, virtual work, hybrid work. So there's, there's like the physical kind of workspace that where Um, there's also the where, as you were just describing in terms of, you know, the type of place you're at and how it aligns with who you are and your goals, your values, those sorts of things. Um, Unpack that a little bit more for us. And what, what should we be focusing on as we're thinking about the where? Right. So when we say the fit, between who we are and the environments. Well, the environments are internal. So it's the space or maybe noise in the head. So that's the internal environment. And then there are the external environments, which include things like the profession or industry that we might be in and then who we come in contact with and the kind of work that we do. But what I was thinking um, was that not enough until now has been made of the physical space, the actual physical space. And yet we have known since at least Darwin, he, he was very much about the physical space, that the world belonged to those who were best adapted to the physical space. So that's kind of as true now as it was then. And it's only now because of COVID, I, you know, um, really getting on our radar screens. Yeah. So, so let's talk more about that. The value of being together in a physical location, a corporate office, whatever, versus, you know, what many people have been doing the last 18 months, which is, predominantly virtual work. Um, and, and now as, as we're starting to, well, I, I say we're starting to come out of the pandemic, but there's been another spike in many parts of the country. So we're not out of the woods yet, but, but uh, yeah. you know, more people are getting vaccinated. It seems like it's starting to go into the rear view mirror, at least a little bit, at least we hope. And so more and more people are talking about, um, you know, coupling the benefit, the pros and cons of, of virtual versus physical workplace work, mm-hmm. you know, into some sort of a hybrid model where some people are at work, some people are at home, sometimes, um, you know, they swap some, you know, you can do a little bit in both places. Um, what do you see as the real benefits and the drawbacks from any of those types of approaches? 
I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Okay, so environmental and evolutionary psychologists tell us that we humans actually yearn for the lush grasslands of the savanna. And so um, I think that explains the last in-office job that I had. They had turned a broom closet into my office. And it was painted and had new shelves and equipment and all that kind of, it was really small and had no actual window. The first thing I did, without even thinking, just the first thing I did, I went over to the Harvard Poop and bought myself a picture of a park bench in a garden and put that up on the wall. And um, there are lots of studies that suggest that nature, even just taking a walk, um, is really good to reduce stress, it's good for your blood pressure, and so on. About 400,000 years ago or so, we figured out fire, and we didn't have to roam around the grasslands quite as much, so we could be more semi-permanent. And this is on the way to here and now, so I'm getting there. So people could stay semi-permanent and actually stay inside and build huts for shelter from um, animals and weather and other kinds of unfriendly neighbors or whatever. But then we also began to build community in-house kinds of structures where we could make tools and we could hold meetings to make decisions that affected us all as these communities got larger and larger. And so that became, these became the first like offices, but now they had become so bleak and barren. I gave a talk at, um, I won't name the place, but it's someplace you all know. And um, they were, I was teaching mindfulness 
And they were saying, well, we don't really have any place to go to, like, if we wanted to meditate, there's no place to do that here. Their offices were completely glass. So people would be staring at them like they're doing Zen. It is weird. And so the offices are not really conducive to any of the kinds of things that would restore us. So... Yeah. So, so as we think about that today, um, you know, we have different office arrangements. We have cubic, you know, cubicle farms where you just, as far as the eye can see in this big open room, there's cubicles uh, all over. You have uh, environments where you have offices, but they're, you know, they're transparent, literally like glass offices. I've been in that environment too. I'm not a big fan. Um, There's uh, open offices where there, nobody has, there's not even cubicles. It's just like big open space and there's like shared workstations, right? And then you have more traditional offices where people have a door. Um, so when we're talking about the physical office space, there's all these variations and each of them have their own pros and cons. Um, and now we have home. Yeah. And now we have home. And so you're sitting in what looks like to be your living room. Yeah. Um, I'm sitting in the corner of my bedroom where I've been working predominantly for the last 18 months. Um, and, and we, we also are able to deal with that. And, you know, if I, like you said, if I, if I need to reset, if I need to um, just enjoy nature a little bit, you know, I can go walk my dogs around the park or I can, you know, whatever. I, I don't have a window right here, but I do have like, I'm super close to all of that. Um, and so that's a benefit certainly of, of being remote, but then I also don't have the direct interaction daily with other people on my team that I used to always have just the casual encounters that we would have and just the camaraderie. And it's now it's a novelty when we get together and we're like in a meeting all together and everyone's kind of weirded out by it because it's been so rare over the last 18 months. So I had this idea that was kind of surprised. I haven't heard it said this way. Tell me whether you have. What if we made the office more like home and the home more like the office? And what I mean by that, and I wrote a little list here for myself. So if we made the office more green with more nature pictures and windows, we all figured out how to do our barbecues outside. Why can't we do our meetings outside? So bring bring the gardens and the outdoor gatherings and all the touches of nature into the office and then at home I was thinking well why not make those spaces I can't tell you how many people have shown up with their unmade bed in the background and they're sitting there like this I'm like okay sit up because I'm not working with you like that I remember one of my first um virtual clients was um, vegging on his sofa for her first appointment. He said, this is so great. I don't even have to get up. I said, "Uh, actually, you do. (laughs) This is work. So we have to create the sense of this is work in the home, more like we have it in the office. Yet we have to bring I think all the things that are so nourishing from the home into the office. 
Yeah. And I think, I think back to the early days of the pandemic when we had, you know, many people had just moved to virtual work. And so you're, you're trying to juggle like me and my wife, we both work, you know, we're working from home and we have six kids who are doing school from home and like juggling all that. And it was a little chaotic and everyone's trying to figure it out. Um, and, but over time we got more comfortable with it. We did figure it out. And for the, for the longest time, maybe because I was overly optimistic, I thought we'd get back to the normal um, quicker and back to the office. And so I just had my laptop and I was just working off my laptop for probably three, four months. Uh, and then finally, one day I just like, I just decided, you know what, I need like an actual workstation, not just sitting at the kitchen table with my laptop. And I went out and I bought extra monitors. I set up a desk in the corner of my bedroom. Okay. And now, now I have like a full workstation. I have three monitors. I have, you know, you have like, an I have an office in the corner of my bedroom and, and I can still, you know, do all the home things I need to do and help the kids and do all that kind of stuff. But then I can also come here and I can be productive in the way that I'm used to being productive. If I'm at the office, that doesn't mean I don't still, you know, sometimes take the laptop out to the back deck and, you know, look, you know, we, we have a nice, we have a nice view. So sometimes I work out on the Good. back deck or, yeah. you know, sometimes I, I go lay on the beanbag um, while I'm on my laptop, just doing stuff that it's, it does. It's not a big deal. Right. So sometimes we can do those sorts of things, but also just having a dedicated space really does help when you're mm-hmm. in a more virtual kind of an environment. And just, you know, I'm, I'm wearing a t-shirt right now. Uh, I'm not like super, I, oh, I, I'm actually very casual. I'm not like super dressed up or anything. And, but I can still, um, function in a professional way and I'm not sloppy. I, you know, I, I showered this morning. I, I got Thank up, I ate breakfast. Doing that. Yeah. I got up, I ate breakfast. I showered, I got ready for work just like I normally would have. Um, and, 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 you know, so when we go through those types of rituals and those types of emotions that it's helpful, even if we're at home. Um, and like you said, bringing, bringing the comforts of home into the office, there's lots of research on the value of, of yes. the, the green space, the, the meditative spaces, the like yep. doing, doing stuff outside, bringing your exercise. pets to work, exercise, like all that, right? Napping, breaks. Yeah. Americans don't take enough breaks. There's all kinds of science on that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we definitely need to be balancing all of that. Now let, let's talk a little bit more about, um, the the hybrid element though so many people are recognizing like many people who said they never wanted to work remotely they got a you know two three four months into the pandemic they're like actually this is kind of nice i don't have to commute anymore um i can kind of work whenever i want to work i don't need you know so so some people started to kind of um get comfortable with it. Uh, other people kind of put up with it, but they're just super anxious to get back to the physical office space. Uh, mm-hmm. More and more organizations are trying, are recognizing this isn't necessarily going away. So we have to be able to grapple with it. Um, and so, so what would you suggest? How, how would you recommend organizations trying to make sense of what hybrid work arrangements might look like for them and their, their people? So according to some studies I've read, it actually matters a lot what kind of work we're doing. So for the more creative work, that's really more conducive to this. Uh, what I read was a 77% increase in productivity for that's possible for people who are doing hybrid for more creative work. Apparently, for more uh, routine, mundane type of tasks, it's better to be in the office. So it's not going to be a one size fits all. I really think it's going to need to be 
tailored to the individual and then it's going to um, stimulate all kinds of sibling rivalry issues <laughs> at work. So those are, so it's going to have to be made clear that this is task oriented. And I think people are just going to have to um, navigate their way through this very um, creative period for the future of work. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, not only potential, you're going to have to, as leaders, you're going to have to deal with potential resentment of some people, you know, who, who want more flexibility and aren't allowed to work more remotely. Um, But also, I mean, out of sight, out of mind, if you have some people at work um, and other people are at their home, uh, there is definitely the potential for them to be overlooked, to not be utilized as much, to be passed over for promotions or for special projects or those sorts of things. So I think leaders need to be able to think about how to manage the relational elements of this, the integration of people into their teams, um, how to continue to develop and maintain, you know, sustain the culture you want amongst your team. All of these are things that, I, like, don't get me wrong, people have been doing this for a long time. Hybrid work arrangements aren't I mean, right. they've existed. It's just not the majority of people have done them. Um, like virtual, virtual work has existed for a long time too. So, so it's not necessarily brand new, but it's new to a lot of people. Sure. And so we're going to have to be able to wrestle with it and figure it out. And like you what? said, no one size fits all. What if it was transparently as possible hooked to performance using K- KPIs or smart goals or whatever the organization prefers, but somehow hooking it as much as possible to actual measures, things that can be measured. I think that will help with some of the resentments, like so-and-so isn't doing it this way and you're not because I like him or her and not you. Yeah. You need to have a good reason for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Madeline, it's been a real pleasure. I just looked at the time and and it's just flown by. I think we could go on and on and on. Um, thank you so much for all your insights. It's great to hear about your book. It's great to to think more about these issues around the where of work, um, not just the why, the how, all of those, which are also very important, of course. Um, before we close for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, and then give us the final word on the topic. There's actually a good section in the book on sibling rivalry at work. It's very inherent and common as part of our human nature. And Steven Pinker does a really good job of helping us to understand that. I can be found um, at MadelaineWeiss.com. That's the website. My social media links are there. There are also free exercises there. And for this conversation, I think a really good one would be focus and release. And it's in the pull down in the complimentary exercises box. And what's really good about that is for when you're working at home, you probably notice yourself. Sometimes it's hard to put something down because now it's time for dinner. So, and, and not take the work with you. So we, uh, especially the high performers, uh, have a whole lot of trouble sometimes putting one activity down and moving to another. And so what we do is we, um, carry it all around all day long. And then we wonder why we're exhausted and everybody's mad at us. 
So that would be a really good exercise for people to play with, um, I think. Excellent. Thank you so much. It has just been a real pleasure talking with you again. I I invite you to come back anytime. And I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, find out more about what Madeline can do for you, check out her book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. Make their Christmas unforgettable with goat guns. Looking for the perfect gift for your husband or man who is a gun lover? Look no further. Goat guns are the greatest gift of all time miniature gun models. They are the perfect blend of quality and detail. From pistols to rifles, there's a goat gun for every collector, history buff, or gamer. Whether for display or for a fun collecting hobby, Goat Guns will bring joy and excitement to him. Surprise your loved ones this Christmas with a Goat Gun, the ultimate gift that won't disappoint. Shop at GoatGuns.com.